what is the secret to success? Short version is, you got to have a 22-inch biceps. And you got to be able to kill predators with your bare hands. And the long version is that I actually always had five rules. And everything that I did, I always used those five rules. And those five rules helped me to become successful. So my first rule is find your vision and follow it. You see, I think it's the most important thing that we have a very clear vision of where we go. A goal, where, where do we go? Because you can have the best ship in the world. You can have the best cruise liner, but if the captain does not know where to go, that ship will drift around the world and out there at sea and will never end up anywhere. Albert Einstein said, the pioneers of a warless world are the young men and women who refuse military service. Very powerful words and so very true. If we can get our young thinking that war, and this is all our young being the leaders and everyone else out there, that war is just a just doesn't benefit anyone, then what a change in the world we would have. Now, that leads into my next special guest, Simon Kleinig. Now, Simon is a very different guest for us this week. He's at the other end of the spectrum. He's, a, he's a, a, an older or wiser man. He's 71 years of age. He lives in London. He's now retired. He, he had a, a, an interesting career. He started in banking. Now, why I say it's relevant, that quote, he was conscripted to, to go to war back in, Viet, in the Vietnam days. So we talk a lot about at the age of 17, 18, what went through his mind when he was conscripted, why would he do that, what was the, the times back then, you know, that, that led these young men to happily and eagerly go to war. So he talks about that, he talks about war and, and his, his quote or his comment, in war there are no unwounded soldiers. It's, you know, really powerful words and he talks about some uh, people that uh, he knew in the war that uh, either died or even then committed suicide. Yeah, he came back from from that experience a different person. He he couldn't go back to banking and just the frivolity of it and the and the, the poor leadership that was in you know the workforce in, in a bank back then. He just he just couldn't stomach it. He couldn't find a way to be inspired by these people in that sort of lifestyle. So he picked up his bags and he, he went travelling and working uh, up north. So he talks about that and uh, and before he knew it, then he, he he took on a business. He took on a the very basic form of a newspaper by throwing uh, by throwing. Uh, papers out the window of his car <laughs> and then built that into a into a, an actual news agency and, and bought a couple of those his family grew to four he he met the his wife and they've now been married 48 years so we talk about marriage and and uh, what makes a good marriage and in his words what makes a good long-term marriage is you look after each other you respect each other and you don't force issues. Very interesting and very smart, I, I believe. So he's got a lot of experience. And we, we talk about all those things. We talk about how he worked hard and he learned that from his dad. His dad was also uh, in, in the forces. And I, I think that really, as we've said in a previous podcast, it teaches young guys a lot of discipline that really puts them in good stead for the rest of their life. So re- really uh, interesting chat about that. We talk about shift work. He, he also, like myself, um, was in the Baker's Delight franchise. We discuss franchising. He, you know, talk, we talk about the shift work involved with being a baker. Uh, he was an incredibly hard worker. I'll never forget. I was a young young guy, and he was obviously a little bit older. And just watching him, you know, we'd, I'd be you know, leaving the shop and, and going home, and he'd still be there washing, cleaning, head down, no fuss. And, and that's a bit of his mantra, no fuss, you know, head down, take things as they come. 
Um, and another quote that came up last week with the great Rocket Campbell, leave the place how you, how you found it. So leave, leave the place how you want others to find it, how you want to find it, and, and you know, leave the place how you found it. And you know, it's, 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 you know, it's all these ways of living and these uh, sort of little quotes and uh, mantras, I think, help, help you succeed in life. And uh, Simon's a really interesting guy from all those things I've already talked about. Another thing, you know, at the age of, in his, I think it was 60-odd or 70, I think it was 70, he says in the in discussion, he, he, he found the love of fitness and, and the gym. So at 71, he goes to the gym six days a week. He's a vegan. He, he's, he's worked out what works for his nutrition and his diet. Uh, and he's loving the gym. He loves the smell of a gym. He loves going in there and, and lifting the weights and, and doing the exercise and the feeling he gets afterwards. So I just find that so incredible. And he, he looks so youthful. You know, he travels a lot. He goes to Tasmania, bushwalking. He's written three books about his bushwalking. So he's a really interesting bloke. And that's why I thought a good old Aussie guy, uh, a guy I've known for a long time now, 20 years or so. Um, and I think you enjoy this discussion. It's totally different to any of the other conversations I've had. So I, I know you'll enjoy it. So sit back and uh, have some fun and uh, really appreciate what a, what a great man this guy is. Simon Kalinick, everybody. Bye for now. Hi everyone and welcome to the Pete Takos podcast. George Eliot said, it is never too late to be what you might have been. I'm Pete and each podcast I dive deep into conversation with my inspiring hand-picked guest. Nothing is off limits, I dig deep and talk about everything that makes them who they are to try and help you be inspired and motivated to unlock your own inner uniqueness and help you become what you might have been. So join me with today's special guest. Let's dig deep. Hi everyone and welcome to another fantastic podcast with another very special guest. Um, My special guest today is Simon Kleinig. Now I've known Simon for... Gee, must be 30-odd years, Simon, I think, back in the old old bakery yeah, days. Yeah, probably closer to 20, but yeah, I'd go with yeah. 32. Yeah. yeah. Now, Simon, you're not just off a plane, but you're not far away from getting back from the airport, mm, are you? You've been living enough. in London. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And uh, just come back from uh, a little stint in Tasmania. Yes. Yeah, now, yeah. before we get into that, just just I met, I met you when I, uh, when I was a very young lad at age 25, and I took on this very difficult business, this bakery, Baker's Delight, which is a big franchise here mm-hmm. in Australia and was really big back in, in those days. I didn't know a lot about you back then, but I got to know you pretty quickly and uh, I was very fascinated and impressed by how hard you, you worked and I always wondered what your background was and I, I sort of knew that you had a, a news agency yeah, yeah. you know, before that, so you, so you knew how to work in small business, but I, I, I don't know or didn't know a lot about your upbringing and, and how you sort of all came, you know, to, to get into that position. So yes, yeah. firstly, mate, let's just talk about where you were raised and, and where you went to school and then how you sort of, what was your first job and where you, how you led into uh, small business? Yeah, well, that, well, I was born in, in uh, North Adelaide and lived in Woodville uh, till early teens. Then we moved up to Burnside and uh, I went to Woodville Primary and then later to King's College, now Pembroke. And uh, when I left school, I um, um, got a job in the bank, oh. and uh, there I stayed and for three years until I was called up for national service. What, what age was that then? That would have been uh, twenty. Twenty. Okay. Yeah. What did you then, think of banking? 
Now, yeah, it's funny. Like my, my last few guests have actually yeah. been worked in finance and worked in banking. What did you yeah, think? It was of t- it? it was so totally different back then. Yeah. I mean, at one stage, I worked at a branch in Udunda, mm-hmm. a very old branch, and they had hand ledgers. Like I used to write. Uh, you'd have two sheets, one for the ledger and one for the statement. So mm-hmm. everyone would get a handwritten statement. Credits in red, debits yeah. in red. It's the other way around. Credits in black, debits in red. So that's incredible. So right? we're talking about very yeah. simple. And simple now we've gone fully it. electronic. You yeah. Know. yeah, massive change. Mm. Yeah. So, don't you so banking wasn't for you? Did you realise no, that no, when, I, when I went in, as, what, was I 17, I think, uh, I enjoyed it. And I was going to make a career from it. But then the sort of army got in the way. And what, uh, and what pulled you into the army? Was it conscription? Or yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. I was. So it was, I was conscripted. Well, talk me through that. And that's, uh, that's something people of, of, of later eras would struggle to understand. And yeah. even myself, I struggled to understand what was going through people's minds at that stage. As a 17-year-old lad, firstly, were you absolutely 100% fit thinking keen to get into the army? Yeah, I, I, was, yeah. I, was, quite, I was quite happy to... To uh, do my time, and, and what did you see as? Did you see it as ser- because it was serving your country, or did you see it as excitement, adventure? What, what was the in uh, all of the above actually? Okay. Yeah, um, and at that time the uh, anti-war movement hadn't got into full swing. It did by the time I was discharged. It, it changed quite radically. But when I first went in, most Australians were in favour of it. Um, and, and you were at a time when they were conscripting to go to Vietnam? Yeah, what had right. happened, I won't go into all the, all the detail because mm. it's a long story, but um, the Menzies government brought in conscription because it had committed Australia to supporting America in Vietnam. And uh, to be able to do that, the uh, Royal Australian Regiment, which is the infantry wing of the army, was increased from three battalions to nine, and the only way they could do that was to bring in conscription. And, I mean, there were other units of, mm. that were also supported, but mainly it was the guys on the field, in the field that were required. And, and what did you know at that point about what they were conscripting you to do? Was it, but for you, was it, OK, we're going, we're going to be trained and we're going to go over there and it's going to be not too bad, it's not going to be too dangerous? Or was it, no, this is full on, this is life and death, this is serious? Yeah, I, well, I didn't know, to be honest, I didn't know at the time when mm. I first went in. It depended on which... Which unit I went to, if I'd gone into um, service corps or catering corps or um, some of the service arms of the army, it wouldn't have been too bad. But if I'd gone into any of the arms, like infantry, armour or artillery, I knew that I'd be in the front line. And did you contemplate that? <laughs> uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah, well, I remember when I was at, uh, did my basic training at Buckapunyal, the first thing the, our training corporal told us is that... Uh, one in three of you will go to Vietnam. Uh, that sort of both scared me and excited me mm. at the same time. Yeah. What parts so, of it scared you? Oh, just going to an active war yeah. zone, you yeah. know, knowing that you, know, you may not come out of it alive or but, seriously but, wounded. But you still realise yeah. that. And you, I guess you, did you, not have, you didn't have a choice, I guess, did you? Like you couldn't just say, I'm not going. No, no. Yeah. Well, that's, that's right. You know, and there were, it's, it's how I can't digress too much or mm. we'll go on forever, yeah. but you could avoid national service by serving with the Army Reserve. Um, but, but you didn't uh, do that? You, no, you, no, no. I thought, well, look, I'll bite the bullet. I'll do my two years. Did, did any of your siblings go? Or was it just yourself? No, my brother was, uh, was called up, but he, he managed to avoid it um, by getting deferments until national service was cancelled. So he was already... Yeah, he'd served with the CMF mm. and, yeah. yeah and what did, uh, now tell me what your parents thought. Did they respond? Did you, well, did you have to tell them or they just knew you'd get called up? 
No, they were. Um, my parents were okay with it. Uh, my mother less so, but my father had served in World War Two in New Guinea and Borneo, and he was uh, he was very much in, in support of uh, what Australia was doing in Vietnam. Again, this all changed radically within mm. a couple of years. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so my family was okay with it, and I mean, you know, most families probably were at that stage. That's a broad statement, but that's the, the gut feeling that I got at the time. Yeah, and, that, and that's what that, that interests me because I, I I'd say these days that a lot of families, and me being a father, I wouldn't oh, take it, it too of well. Course, you know, you, of course, you know, and whether that's yeah. not whether it's because we're more aware of yeah. um, how graphic the war, you know, war is and what, yeah. what what happens over there. I'm not sure whether yeah. that's the reason. Or that, that war. By 1970, that war had effectively polarised the whole Australian nation. Mm. You had moratoriums, you had people protesting in the street, uh, politicians, and you had people for and against it. So it really divided the whole nation, like never before, I believe. Mm. And, and what was your involvement then when you were over there? Was it, um, did you see a lot of things that were... Well, I served with the, I, I was, um, I was, uh, drafted into uh, Royal Australian Infantry and I served with the 8th Battalion Royal Australian Regiment at a place called Nui Dat uh, in Fuktui Province. And um, from there we did operations and patrols uh, to keep insurgency by the Viet Cong and North North Vietnamese regulars to a minimum. And that's what I did. I mean, my two years... I was fortunate as much as I'd served six months in Malaya. I mm. joined my battalion in Malaya, so six months was eroded doing that. We were training for Vietnam. Then we came back to Inogra in Queensland, did some more training, then over to Vietnam. So I only had about four, four or five months there, I think. And was that training? Was that training hard? Was it quite hard? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Does that, and do, you, do you think that played a huge part in your life in, in helping you develop a work ethic and, and some resilience? Uh, I don't know. I think I always had the work ethic. But it um, it changed my life dramatically, you know, probably more so than I realised at the yeah, time. It, it, yeah. what, what what can you say in what way? Well, I, you know, I didn't have, I'll be honest, I didn't have a terribly hard tour. It wasn't easy, uh, but I was at the front line. I was going out on patrols. Uh, but as a seventeen-year-old, you're away from home, you're away from comfort, you're away from yeah, security. I was Twenty the, then, yeah. But, yeah, but yeah. those things. You know, oh, yeah. There's yeah, still be things in a young person's life. I had the good fortune to have a very good uh, family base. So, uh, you know, I, I was very, always supported from a, from a young age. But um, So where do you think you got your work ethic from then? If you think you, 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 said, you said that you think you had that work ethic already, was it yeah, just look, was it it mum it and dad's it influence? Probably. Look, I'm sure that serving in the army helped because mm. whether or not you... Um, were in the front line or were you a truck driver or a cook, you know, it's, there's a certain, you've got discipline that comes in yeah. and you've got a, a very much an ordered existence mm. on a day-to-day basis. So all that sort of helps to build. Did that come easy what, to you, though, in terms of... It the, did. Yeah. yeah, I didn't, didn't struggle with it at yeah. all. And is part of that perhaps Dad's influence being he'd been in the I army so. as well and yeah, he, he knew sure. how to sort of keep the discipline yeah. at home and things like that? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And, and how many siblings, other siblings did you have? Was it just the older brother? I had a brother or? and a sister. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And now, so talk talk me through then. So did it did it change you? Or when you came back, were you changed in a way that you think um, detrimented your personality, or did you come back and, and ease straight into into? No, life I, I back came in? back. I, I'm sh- I, I know I came back stabilised. Mm. I mean, I wasn't. Uh, I didn't suffer psychologically from it to any extent. Then I thought. Um, did you have friends in the army that? 
that were affected that oh, were, in yeah. terms of injured or yeah I had well there were uh, two or three guys that were killed yep. while I was over there I had there's a couple of guys that committed suicide about ten years after so that's you know mm. um, but there's a saying I've forgotten who it was a Brazilian writer I can't think of his name Jose Norovsky that's who it was mm. who said uh, in war there are no unwounded soldiers so it doesn't matter mm. whether you're a, whether you're a truck driver or Someone carrying a rifle or whatever. You, if you're, you're, you're serving in a war affected. zone. Mm. You, you're affected by the whole thing. Yeah. And when I was there, you know, I won't go into all this no. detail because it'll bore people. But um, being being in a country under under occupation is is uh, uh, it's hard to describe. But the whole you can see it in people's eyes. You know, uh, you can see it in people working in the paddy fields and in the towns. They all had that haunted, hungry look in their eyes. Like they were just it was just a day to day existence. Mm. Yeah. Now that that's all gone now because Vietnam is a tourist destination. But if you go to the Middle East, you'd find the same thing there, I'm sure. Yeah, so there's an air of uh, what's happening to yeah. them that's yeah. affecting them. And at that time, yeah. Vietnam had been war-torn for 200 years. So, you know, the people were absolutely, you know, they're just wandering around in a daze almost. Yeah. No, I can I could imagine that. I, mean, yeah. I can't imagine it, but I, but I can understand yeah. what, what you're but saying. But anyway, coming back to, to, uh, to what you asked me about when I came back... Um, uh, I just found that the thing, the main thing I found was that, um, firstly, 1970, which is I came back in February 1970, it was the best year of my life because <laughs> up until then, I'm not joking, mm. I, I thought right throughout 1969 that could be the final year of my life. Mm. You know, for a 20-year-old, that's a pretty amazing thing mm. to have to contemplate. Yeah. So when I came back, you know, unscathed and in one piece, I just like I had my whole life almost like I'd been wow. reborn. Probably mm. for anyone else listening to it, that probably sounds like a crazy exaggeration, but that's what yeah. you feel. You no, know? I could. I mean, you, you're talking. Yeah, you're in a life and death type of yeah. environment, and to come back and I guess have total freedom. Yeah, not yeah. under the the discipline sure. of being told what to do every single day exactly. or minute or whatever yeah. as well. But so anyway, just getting back on that subject, I keep saying that I know, but um, so I just found the one thing I did found is I had. I didn't have anything in common with my friends anymore because I'd experienced all this. Mm. I'd, I'd sort of it, – it completely blows your mind. You know, you've got a, 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 an outlook on life that is totally different because you've seen so much stuff that's – and my friends were all doing discos and dances and chasing mm. after women and drinking, all the stuff that I wanted yeah. to do, of course. But mm. but when you come back, you realise that, wow, the life is just – it's just so different, yeah. you know. I mean, if you speak a... to guys coming back from the Middle East now, they'd have exactly the same. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's growing up, isn't it? It's maturity. It's, yeah, um... I mean, it's a hell of a way to do it, but that's that's yeah. how it was. So what happened then? Did you find new friends? Okay, and... well, uh, yeah, well, so – but I, I was very uh, quickly adjusted. I, I met my wife and we got married within 12 months. But one thing I found really difficult was that um, I went back to the bank – and I couldn't settle in. You know, mm. I just, um, I just couldn't settle in. I'd, and one of the main reasons is that even though I was only ever a private in the army, I was really impressed with the quality of leadership. You know, from from officers, mm. and uh, you know, these were guys that really had it all together. You know, and they weren't doing balance sheets. They were, made, they were looking after men's lives. You know, and it was a huge it's real. And these were guys yeah. that were only one or two years older than me. So, um, so you'd have to be sitting there in the bank, as I did, and even though I didn't serve, I used to think this: the, the frivolity, frivolity of it. Like it's, it's, it's just not life and death. It's yeah. not serious. It's, it's. Know. You know what I mean? I can yeah. imagine. What, I can understand what you're yeah. saying. That you'd be yeah. back in the bank thinking, "Hang on, this isn't real world. Really, yeah. this is just fun and games in a way." Well, I just found that I was dealing with, um, 
with bank managers and, and mm. people above me and they just didn't have any idea. And, mm. So you, know, you didn't I just, respect them, I yeah, guess, the way I you respected I, the I other leaders? Thought, you know, I mean, I think, mm. but, yeah, so what I found difficult, uh, for example, the first day I came back, uh, one of the bank managers said to me, look, make sure you get a haircut. And I, <laughs> I had two years of short back and sides. Mm. And, yeah, and I just thought... And, and I, then he asked me, did you see any action over there? And I thought that was a fairly indelicate question to ask someone that had just returned so, from... So he's almost showing yeah, that he's lacking a little so, bit of compassion, a little bit of a, personality and communication. There was a lot communication. of just, just guys that I thought, yeah. So what did you do? Did you stay, stay well, long? Well, I, st- I didn't stay long. I, I stuck it out for about six months. And then I, I sort of... I'd always wanted to sort of go out on my own in small mm. business. And so this it was very easy for, uh, to make that decision. So and you're 21, 22? At the, the yeah, hour, I was 22 yeah. when I was discharged. So what I did was I um, I uh, just got a whole lot of jobs. You know, I just quit the bank and then I just I got a job as a builder's labourer for a while. And then I went up north, sort of uh, at that time the sort of mineral boom was happening in South Australia. So I went up around Udna Data and places like that. Working in the bush, and um, it was just a freedom, and you know, sort of being away from all. So you, that. so you weren't afraid to travel now. You weren't no, afraid to go away. And no, no, yep. it was good. Yeah, and then uh, having met my wife, you know, I wanted to be Adelaide based. So, so uh, we we got married and um, set up home, and um, I just, I in the meantime, I'd got a job with BP, the oil company, just as a clerk. And I got pretty sick of that too. So I just, for me, the the most satisfying thing would be to go into um, my own business where I was eligible to no one but myself. So that's what we did. We bought a news agency. Wow. Um, in about 1971, I think. So, so back then, did you need a lot of funds to do that, or just uh, you, you? Yeah, you, didn't you, need much. I, yep. You know, we we had a little bit, so. Yep. Uh, enough to sort of kick us off. Was it taking a risk? Was was it seen to be you Not taking really. a risk? Not really. That, that was a pretty safe thing okay. to get into, yeah. So we had, and I was just throwing papers out of a car window, mm-hmm. just a paper chucker, basically. And that was locally here in Adelaide? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we had a couple of those. And so then that's, your first, that's your first bite at working for yourself? It was. And did you like yeah, it? I did. Yeah. yeah, it was lovely. Yeah, it was very... Very liberating. So the flexibility and mm. not be having a boss, someone you didn't yeah. respect. Mm. And then soon after that, we started a family. And uh, so then we progressed to um, news agent shops. Uh, and we had a couple of those. And uh, by now, our family had grown to four. You know, I'm talking over about a 10-year span, time yeah. span. And working hard, I'd imagine. Yeah, working hard yeah it was really yourself. hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Plenty of sleep deprivation, yeah. <laughs> and um, which I do remember you battling through that when we had the bakery. But we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get to that. Course. So, yeah. so how many years then did you battle away with the news agencies? And, and you put your children through, obviously through yeah, school. Yeah, I must have been fifteen years, I think, Pete. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, sure. And what yeah. happened then? Did you decide? Well, well, it's time for another change. It was, yeah. Mm. yeah. Were so you just bored we... with it, or you just thought you wanted to? It was time to cash out of that. Yeah, or? it was time to go to yeah. something else. Uh, and then Baker's Delight franchise was just mm. starting to operate. So it was in the very early days of Baker's yeah, Delight back then, wasn't it? That's right, mm. yeah. So we we got into that and worked hard like we all did. Well, before we do that, let's just talk about what... So how did you find out about Baker's Delight and uh, what sort of things about the bakery or that franchise in particular that, that appealed to you? Someone sort of recommended it to me, uh, someone that was... A baker, actually. No, he wasn't in Baker's Delight, but he said there's a new franchise coming over from Melbourne called Baker's Delight. He said you should have a look at it. So we did, and 
and did you have a good look at it? Did you go and work as a baker first? Did you did you spend yeah, a night did, there? Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think now, Peter. It's such a long time ago. I, I can't remember what were the steps were that, but it would have been something like yeah. that. Yeah. And how did you deal with the hours and and making learning to make bread? And for, sorry, firstly, how old were you at that stage? I reckon I was early forties. Okay, yeah. so it's a big, still another big yeah, change, isn't yeah. it? In the early forties to go into baking and you know I mean, work the nights hours weren't good. I mean, uh, they were terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, they were terrible. It took me I a mean, month to get even exactly. close to getting used yeah. to it and getting into a routine. And even then, I, I really struggled to get into the. Yeah. I'd have two. I don't know about you, but I had to have two sleeps. I used to yeah. sleep in the afternoon, and then uh, then another one at night. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, my my whole life from about the age, the age of twenty is one. Of, it's been one of serious sleep deprivation because in the army I was we're always on patrol or doing pickets and two hours on two hours off so it was minimum sleep. So that didn't scare you, yeah. I'm, and, I'm thinking. Yeah, and then mm. uh, when we had the news agency, when I was throwing papers, you know, that was an early start, two o'clock start. So, but that doesn't make it, you know, people listening, it doesn't make it any easier. No, you still you have know. to do it. Oh, yeah. you yeah. never get used to it. You no, know, your body will always tell you this is wrong. Mm. <laughs> But but it, yeah, you don't get used to it, and it doesn't get any easier. But you you sort of develop a, a know how of what, what works for you, yeah, and you, you just get you through find it. a pattern yeah. that, that works. Yeah. Tell me on that, Simon, and I can share to people my experiences of shift work, which mm. I think is really interesting to people. Yeah. Um, how does it affect you? Do you do you, for example, for me, I know I'm on holidays at the moment, but I do know when I'm working shift work for a long period of time, I do just get a little bit more short, short fuse. Oh, no question. I, I don't feel yeah. like I think as clearly. Yeah. I definitely don't have as happy persona about me. Yeah, oh, it definitely affects me. But you. after two yeah. or three weeks in my ho- into my holidays and I'm not working the shift work, it, yeah. cha- it does change. So yeah. you sort of, I think getting better at what I said, you sort of just, you know you're going to be like that and you just get through the, yeah. the sleep deprivation. Right. But yeah. Yeah. It, you're sort of not 100% happy about it, but you just yeah. sort of push through. Does it affect you it did. similarly? Yeah, yeah, I had the, had the same sort of yeah. reaction to it. Yeah. So but with the baking, so did you find it physically hard in, uh, in your 40s to do that? Because it is hard work. Well, I th- yeah, I did. But I think at any age, you know, for me it was probably the hardest work I've ever done. Yeah. You know, it's, it was because it was demanding mentally. And up, up to that point, you, you you weren't heavily involved in fitness or keeping fit no. or gym or anything, were you? No, no, nothing. I'd always I'd always enjoyed bushwalking, so yep. I'd go for a bushwalk down again. But but nothing yeah. as physical as, as nothing, baking. nothing specific. Mm. No. But um, yeah, so it was it was demanding physically for sure. Did, uh, did you ever have moments of, you, of thinking, why did I do this, or um, I I, should, I don't think I should continue, or did you just head down no, and decide I'd, that you're going to do it yeah I, by nature i'm very determined mm. you know I, I hate sort of turning away from a task so on that so that, that, that interests me so when you say you're determined do you are you the type of person do you think about what your end result's going to be or what your goal is for example when you started the bakery yeah and, i do not but to be honest not as much as i should have mm. you know i just head down and tail up yep. which isn't the ideal way to do it you really i did sort of have a sort of a plan, a rough plan, but I, I should have thought it out a little more to be entirely self-critical. In what way? Like thought about what? In oh, I should have I should have planned more about what I really wanted to go with it, rather I just thought, oh, this year will be, I'll be okay, and yep. then you roll into next year, and then you you keep slugging it out. But is, is sometimes that better though? Because then you're not. Well, it could be. I, I don't know. It's perhaps mm. I'm being hard on myself. Yeah, yeah. Yep. But you did. So you're very determined. Yeah. So you put your head down and you you, you got stuck into these yeah. these bakeries. Yeah. But I, I must say the one thing I did find the one thing that I didn't expect from baking was uh, how rewarding it can be. Mm. The fact that you're actually creating stuff. Yep. You know, you'd walk into a bakery at two o'clock in the morning. There's a great pile of flour bags. 
yeast in the fridge, water in the tap, mm. and a few other little bits and pieces, and like six, seven hours later, you got a whole rack full of bread. You've created something. Yeah. And you can and look hand, back and hand moulding, as yeah. you would remember. You know. Uh, do you miss that? Do you do you miss that side of baking a little bit? I don't miss it, but I'm I'm really pleased I did it and okay. quite proud yeah. of it. You know, yeah. and I'm sure if I did it, and if you did it, now you just mm. pick it up. It's an art. Mm. Uh, yeah. To, that you never forget. Yeah, I'm the same as you. I, 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 I have fond memories of looking back at the shop when I finished work and seeing yeah. the whole, all the racks full of nice yeah. bread, um, smelling it, tasting it during That's the right. night. Yeah. Uh, and the same as you, I don't wish I'd go back and do it, although I've baked some bread around you know, at home and really enjoy doing that. Yeah. But yeah, there was something special about baking bread. Look, it, it was quite simple, like bringing the, the basic ingredients mm. together from scratch. Indeed. It was. Yeah. It was very rewarding. Um, the shift work, it wasn't too... Or didn't work too well for me, no, <laughs> but no. I, I pushed through like you did. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so it was quite successful for you. The, the bakeries you, you worked at yeah, it very yeah. hard. You turned around the shop, the shop that you had. Yes, yeah. Um, how many years did you end up owning the bakeries for? I think about again. I think it was about ten years. Wow. Okay. Yeah. 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 It's a long time. Yes. To be doing yeah. shift work. And were you glad yeah. when you when it all finished? Yeah. To get I, sleep the, again. The, I, I was proud of the. The first bakery we got into, um, we got the um, second highest percentage increase in sales of any bakery in Australia, and it wasn't a terribly well like located store, but we sort of slugged away at it, and um, worked it very much as a husband and wife thing, and which, which really is what bakers a lot really yeah. wanted, wasn't it? Yeah. They, they they believed husband and wife worked yeah. best in in the stores because the the wife could look after the front of the store, sure. the husband the back, yeah. and work as a team. Yeah. So that, yeah. that's that's why it was that's why it worked. I think. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. I think yeah. I think if if you manage out the stores and, and you haven't got the husband and wife there, there's just not the same yeah. passion. Well, that that store is it. closed now. There, yep. are, there are a number of people that went into it and they and staffed of, it. And there's it. a number of bakers that like stores yeah. that did close once they were staffed yeah. or managed out rather than the, the yeah. husband and wife working there. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no. Um, what, would you recommend people to go into franchising? I would actually. Yeah. Yeah. What, yeah. what, why? What, what do you see franchising as? Um, if you pick the right franchise, and Baker's Delight was a good one when I, you know, when we were in it at least. Well, what do you think was good about Baker's Delight? I think their their plan for uh, for training staff, uh, their the way they looked at uh, retail and uh, their market and the targets they set for themselves and their franchisees, and the way that. Um, the guidelines they laid down for training staff, I thought, were excellent. Yeah, I, I remember the way yeah. they, they they that was called delightful training. Remember yeah. it was Baker's Delight, and they had delightful right. training, and they used yeah. to train the, the girls in delightful skills. Yeah. You know, and and I, thought, I reckon at that time that was the best training program good. for staff yeah, was, yeah. in and Australia. It, they were really happy. They made they made yeah. sure that they had a happy persona, yeah. and the key wasn't it to tastings. Remember they used to always yeah, say give away sure. tastings so the yeah. the consumer, the people taste your product. Yes. Yeah. 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 What else about uh, Baker's Delight do you think was unique? Or that appealed to you, and you think that made it a good franchise. Um, I just think the range was well thought out, and uh, their advertising was good. Um, yeah, they just, I mean, they specialised in breads too, didn't they? Yeah, they wouldn't. Yeah. They didn't do pastries because no, that, that no. required a pastry chef that which which were added to the bottom line. Yeah, you know, made sure. it more and, they, and they didn't uh, serve hot food because that would have complicated the whole process. And no drinks, no drinks, no paper, yeah. no yeah. advertiser paper. That's you know, right. those types of things. Yeah. It was so specialist sort of, bread. Company, yeah. which was unique back then. It, it was, was gourmet bread, wasn't it? it and wasn't everyone, it. whenever they wanted to go to a dinner party, would say, oh, we'll, I'll go to Baker's Delight. For sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I, 
I don't, I don't think it has the same persona about it now. No, I must admit. no, we're talking ancient history yeah, now. But it's yeah, yeah I'm, I, I don't spend much time in Australia, so I'm the last person to comment. But yeah. I'd, I'd agree with that. And some it, of the stores I've seen, it looks like it's, you know, the the honeymoon is over now. It's yeah, and I'm not sure why. I'm not, I'm not sure whether it's because they they're not all husband and wife, or whether this the marketing. Um, yeah. Direction change. I'm not not really sure why. Yeah. Um, so you would recommend people to go into franchising. What what? what so say it's a young couple or, or a, a person like you were in, in their forties mm. in, in a bank. What, what what would you say to them if they said to you, "Look, I'm thinking about going into franchising. What should I look at, or what should I be wary of, or is there any sort of advice you can give to that you would give to someone like that?" Yeah, I'd just um, make sure you got enough money to go into it to start with. So not have too much of an interest component, like a, a yeah, debt. that's yeah. right. Um, and uh, there are plenty of franchises around. Just just get advice from from accountants. They're probably the least qualified to give it, but you know the, the figures have to stack up. And um, just speak to various people, you know, uh, professional and non-professional. And after a while, you'll sort of get a gut feeling, and then mm. if it if it seems right, go ahead with it. But yeah, I think it's a very good way of getting into small business. And. It's a good way is because of the systems that, that, yeah, that they teach you. You've got an umbrella of, of uh, an established format that you can follow rather than making making your own way and making a lot of mistakes along the way. So what would you say to someone to be wary of? Can you think of anything there? One thing I can think of, for example, is location. I know when, yeah. I, when I was in it that one location was quite good and another one was yeah, not so sure. good and it, and it was the key. No matter how yeah. hard we worked at the poor location, we just couldn't get sales to where no. we got them at the... Yeah. Better location without yeah. even working that hard. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that's that's sort of vital. That's one of the keys, isn't it? Yeah, it's probably the key. Rent, maybe make sure the rent's not yeah. ridiculously yeah. high. Um, that's right. Yeah, but it's often that's tied into location too, mm. isn't it? Yeah, but yeah, yeah. If you if you if you're careful, you can keep you can make sure that the rent is is not going to drown the business and drag it under. And you've got to want to be there, don't you? You do. Yeah, you, you've got to have that fire. I think the belly. as soon as you have that mindset where. No, I, I, I don't really want to be there. I'd rather get someone else work for me. And I went through that near the end. Yeah, um, yeah. Things just seem to go a little bit That's downhill right. from there. Yeah, so exactly. you gotta, you, I think you've got to love love the thought of doing it and then love the want of, like you said before, working for yourself. You've yes. got to feel that need yeah. to want to work for yourself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, they're all important ingredients. Yeah, yeah. ingredients, yes, from scratch. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so so you, you would have been uh, in your 50s when you... Left the bakery, yeah, I was, and sold them, sold out of the bakery. What, yeah. Where did you move to then? What, what was on the agenda for, for um, you then? We actually moved to Tasmania for a little while, um, and the children were out of home by then. Yeah, yep. yeah. Um, what was the what was the reason for that? Well, I'd sort of uh, about four or five years before that, I'd I'd started writing uh, just articles yeah. uh, on. On bushwalking, and I, I wrote a number for a magazine called Wild. Mm-hmm. So, did you you just start writing on your experiences? experiences yeah, I, I just read articles, and I thought, well, you know, I think I could do that. Yeah. So, and uh, what you contacted um, was it Wildlife? Did you say it's, it's, it was a magazine called Wild? Yeah. It's still in publication. So, you Deals. contacted them and said, "Look, I'm, can I yeah. send you some articles?" That's right. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, I had about three or four of those published, and I got a fascination. I've always had a fascination for Tasmania, and um, so I was I was writing about an area in western Tasmania uh, near the Franklin River, and at a mountain in particular called Frenchman's Cap. Uh, so I started research. I did a number of trips in there, and, and so I got inf- uh, all sorts of info to 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 write on this, this subject uh, specifically. And okay. So that's and I mean it was a good retirement plan because you know mm. we we decided 
that um, uh, we weren't going to work anymore. Mm-hmm. And I've omitted to mention that what happened, I was I suffered a bit from uh, uh, PTSD from mm-hmm. my Vietnam experience, and the Australian yeah. government awarded me a. Uh, a pension, mm-hmm. conditional on the fact that I don't work eight, eight hours, uh, more than eight hours a week. So mm-hmm. that's so actually it was forced retirement, if mm-hmm. you like. Yep. Um, so I was fifty-five. Yeah. That's so a, so that's a great my, age to retire. <laughs> uh, the more people well, I, talk, I didn't, it wasn't planned, but yeah, it was, but the opportunity funny, was there. So. The more people I talk to, um, you know, I sort of try. And, I, I used to be a financial advisor, and I always used to say to my clients, "If you get to age sixty, we can do this." this. But mm-hmm. I'm starting to think fifty-five is a good. And I know yeah. we're living longer. I know. And, I know. and you'd think it'd be going the other way. Oh, you a, should retire it's a later. Tough call. Yeah. But I, I just think no matter what you do, no matter how long you work, you, you're at a good physical stage around 55. Yeah, and exactly. you can say, well, I live to 90, but it doesn't matter. Your body's still 50, 55 yeah. years. Yeah. Of, you know, old. And yeah. there's things you can't do when you get to 65. That's so right. I, I just, or 75, you know, I just think. Yeah. I'm starting to think, and talking to different people, I'm getting that opinion from other people that they're thinking that too, 55 to 60 yeah. sort of yeah, range. That's good. Yeah. If you can manage it, it's a good yeah. way to do yeah. it. Yeah. So that, that sounds good though. Living, yeah. So you're living in Tasmania, you're yeah. writing so stories. So I ended up, I wrote three books in the course of about five years. And okay. And did you publish those? Yeah. Yeah. yeah they were, um, um, did they're you, all... Did you all use a company to do that or you, you, you just uh, funded uh, it yourself and... and had them written up. The first one was a biography that um, a lady commissioned me to write, and the other one was funded by an organisation in Tasmania. And the third one, I just submitted it to a publisher, and they agreed to publish it. So wow. I, I never sort of self-published, mm-hmm. mainly because I couldn't afford it. <laughs> and what were those? What were the books on? So one was a, a biography of her life. Did you say? No, it was a biography of this chap called Jack Thwaites, who was a Tasmanian. Bushwalker and conservationist. The second one was uh, I edited a number of newspaper articles written by a chap called Charles Whittam, who was a great uh, walker in Western Tasmania. And the third one was uh, a book on this mountain, Frenchman's Cap. So it's more or less detailing the history of that mountain from colonial times right through to the present day, encompassing all the Bob Brown and Franklin River stuff. And How long did it take you to write these books? Was it uh, a long... Uh, the first one, the biography, probably only took me a year or so. The other one was quite quick too, about a year. Mm-hmm. But the last one, the Frenchman's Cup, I researched it for about 12 years. So I, it sort of, yeah. I really started that before mm. the other two, and, but it, it turned out that was the last one to be published. And I'm in the middle of revising that. It's, mm-hmm. was, it was published six years ago. And Are you proud of those books? Yeah. Does well, it the last, like a good accomplishment? Yeah. No, no the first one... Um, I shouldn't brag, but it was shortlisted for the Tasmanian Book Prize. Didn't wow. win it, but it was yeah. sh- if it's shortlisted, it's like the Booker Prize, that's, you know. It's, yeah, that's you're happy that's with good that. feedback, yeah. though, isn't it? It's yeah. good to um, pat on the back to say you're, yeah. doing, you're doing something right. And the last one is on the Frenchman's Cap. It's still selling, so that's why I'm yep. revising it. So, yeah. you've got no writing background? Didn't study? No, I, was, I wasn't a terribly good student, I, but I was, I was hopeless at the sciences, but I was okay at the arts, mm. languages and English. Yep. So, but we're yeah. only talking high school. Yeah. 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 Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Man yeah. of many talents. Oh. <laughs> so, um, so you're living in Tasmania, riding and yeah. bushwalking. And then, and then we moved to, uh, uh, to London because our, uh, our four children had all moved over there. And they were sort of young adults by now. So all four of them? 
Mm. Yeah. Wow. Two have since come back. We've yeah. got two in Adelaide and two in So they all moved there for experience, did they? Did for yeah, work, for work experience, okay. yeah. Just briefly, what, what, what are their careers? Oh, one is a winemaker. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, uh, one is a graphic designer. Where's the winemaker working at the moment? Which region? She works for Marks and Spencer in London. Okay. So, Fantastic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the other one's a graphic designer and uh, the two sons, one is into IT stuff uh, and... Uh, the f- last one is a landscape architect. Must be very proud of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, you're always proud of your kids, but mm. yeah, they've they've done it right. Yeah. So, you, so, you, so you're living in London around your children, which must be mm. uh, fantastic. And I'm assuming grandchildren were involved. Yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, so yeah, when the grandchildren came along, we we'd only planned to stay six months, but mm. that was like eleven years ago. So. Yeah. <laughs> And, and I hadn't I hadn't really done any travel outside yeah. of Australia apart from being in the army. So did you do a lot of so travelling when you were based in London? Did you get to Europe a lot or did yeah, you... Yeah, yeah, we did. We've mm. pretty well had a good look around, you know, Europe and been to Egypt. I've been to Gallipoli three times, wow. Israel and, you know, most of the, uh, the UK from Scotland right down to the Isle of Wight. There's an awful lot to see, but uh, in 11 years you, you, know, mm. you sort of cover a lot of it. It sounds like a good retirement to me. Yeah. Sounds yeah, pretty special. It's pretty active. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Be around your grandchildren, your children, yes, and yeah. be travelling around Europe. Exactly. It yeah. sounds like a pretty good retirement plan to yeah. me. Now, you are doing some work in London as well, weren't you? Were you did you have a position I, there? I or? work for a charity, uh, Legacy, which looks yeah. after war widows. Okay. Uh, it's, yeah. it's a, I mean, most Australians have heard yeah. of the brand name. Is, I mean, is that volunteer work? Or, yeah, yeah, it is. Is that rewarding? Keep you busy? Oh, really rewarding, rewarding. yeah. yeah. Uh, so we've got war widows, uh, Australian war widows living in the UK. Mm-hmm. So we we help look after them. So that means visits up to Scotland and yeah, mm-hmm. fantastic. Mm. Um, now Simon, so after chatting with you and, and looking at you, you're looking very fit. <laughs> you're tanned and fit. Now how well, old are, how old are you now? I'm seventy one. Yeah. Seventy one, and you're probably looking as fit as I've seen you look. <laughs> So now talk me to that because you, you do have a passion now for fitness, don't you? I do. But you didn't have before, did you? It wasn't premeditated. No, it's no. Um, probably about, uh, what, seven or eight years ago, I went to the doctor, mm-hmm. a lady doctor in London, and she said, you need to lose two stone. And I seriously thought she was joking. Well, you're not healthy? What, what were you doing at well, the doctor? I just a checkup? I was just eating, I suppose, like most people do. I wasn't picking out on donuts and potato chips and all that sort of stuff, but... And I was exercising a little bit, but I didn't have anything serious in place. And it took me a couple of years, but then I, um, we moved down to a place called Torquay on the Devon coast, on the, on the Channel coast. And one summer, I just started eating a lot of salads. And I thought, gee, this is nice. And uh, then I started walking. And in the space of probably eight weeks, I dropped that two stone. And um, then I went to the doctor, for some reason I can't remember, and I, I mentioned to him that I'd lost two stone. And I said, there's a little bit more I want to lose around my tummy. And he said, well, you might need to join a gym and do some weight training to get that last bit off. So that's from then I, I did join a gym, and I found that it didn't take too long. I got quite addicted to the whole thing. What sort of things were you doing in the gym? Was it? Um... Well, I just started off. I suppose for the first eighteen months, Pete, I had no idea what I was doing. Mm. I'd just get onto various machines. So you didn't have a trainer, personal no, trainer, or anything no. like that. You just how many times a week were you going to the gym at that stage? I was pretty dedicated. Once I got into it, I was sort of going for six days a week. Okay. Mm. 
and uh, what, was, just, what was your routine? Was it uh, was it the machines that you yeah, used? Or, yeah, yeah. I I didn't do a lot of aerobic stuff. It was mainly I'd sort of warm up for a while, and then I'd do I'd work most of the muscle groups, uh, not to failure, but I'd I'd mm. just sort of work on them, and then I found surprisingly after about. Um, a month, I could feel sort of biceps and triceps happening. Yeah, as he yeah. flexes his uh, biceps <laughs> in my <laughs> studio, <laughs> muscle tone. So I thought, isn't that surprising? You enjoyed so it. I did. Yeah. I did. And yeah. so that was four years ago. So I've been. You can't get enough of it now, can you? No, no. Yeah. It's it really has been a life changer for me because it, in what uh, way? Does it relax you? Is that what? Yeah, it's relaxing. Yeah. Uh, I feel quite proud to have sort of got myself into some sort of condition quite late in life mm. and uh, like most of us that get into it reasonably seriously it, it it's not just the exercising it's the diet it's the whole lifestyle thing so, so that's led to you having a good look at how you're eating and yeah, yeah. yeah exactly yeah. so um yeah i've i went sort of vegetarian and then I went vegan, which will probably shock a lot of your listeners, but I, it wasn't, again, it wasn't premeditated. I just thought, oh, I'll just And you're, try. That, you're that way now. You don't eat yeah. any meat at all. No, I do. Okay. I mean, having said that, I'm, if we go out somewhere and there's only meat on the menu, I'll eat yeah. it. Okay. I don't feel mm. guilty about that. Mm. And I didn't become vegan to sort of save the animal kingdom either, although now I do have sympathy with the fact of, you know, battery chickens and all that sort of stuff. It's uh, Because from an early age, we've, we've got meat put in front of us and we've never... It, you don't really question, question it. why no, it's there. It but when to, you think about it, I mean, all that mm. stuff, mm. beef, cattle, that's sort of like it's holocaust for the animal kingdom, mm. isn't it? The yeah. way it's all yep. farmed. And, yeah. Yeah. and yeah, we are a lot more aware of, yeah. aware of that now. Yeah, so uh, I, again, that wasn't a motivating mm. reason So you, do you feel me. better when you're, when you're not eating meat? Is it, is it a cleaner, leaner feel you It have? is a lot yeah. better, yeah. 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 Okay. And so a lot of salads. Yeah. I had I had suffered a little bit with a bit of, I used to get gastric reflux. Mm-hmm. And uh, IBS and a little bit of arthritis, mm. and I haven't had any of that for two years. Wow! Yeah. Have you also cut out sweets, or you you use the same? I there? still have. A, I've got a bit of a penchant for chocolate. Okay. So I mean, within mm. reason, I don't sit down and eat two blocks of chocolate yeah. each, yeah. each night. But yeah, and if we go out somewhere and there's desserts and there's ice cream, I'd have that. Mm. Yeah. And milk, you you would normally? No, I've gone off milk. Okay, I yeah. do the whole vegan thing. The only thing I don't, mm. I draw the line at is honey. You know, sorry, bees, but I just I can't. <laughs> but everything else, I just and it's, again, it's yeah. just I, it isn't a big problem for me. Yeah. I, I thought, well, I'll just try it and see if if it doesn't work. I'll go back, you know, to mistakes. Yeah. How long have you been living that, this lifestyle with that food? That that sort of. I've diet? been doing vegan for about eighteen months now. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm still able to build muscle. You know, mm. I look carefully at what I eat. I get plenty yeah. of, of protein foods like broccoli and peas and. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the pulses, lentils, chickpeas. Um, yeah. And so, do, does your wife Denise? Does she mm. uh, follow the same diet? No, I've tried to get her onto it, but yeah. Okay. No, so you have separate from... meals. How do you do, <laughs> how does that work out? Well, we just have separate meals. Simple as do that. Do you cook your own then? Or yeah. Does... yeah wow. I do. Okay. <laughs> well, that, that's a good uh, segue into something else I wanted to ask you. Mm-hmm. How long have you been married, Simon? It's been in, it must have been uh, a number of years now. 48 years. 48. Yeah. yeah. What do you got planned for the 50? Are you probably I don't know. <laughs> I'll work out something. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the key to marriage? Well, let's talk about oh, that. It's just... In a uh, happy family. Just respecting one another and yep. looking after each other. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And so you're coming up for 50 years of marriage. 
Yeah, so oh, it's a couple of years off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's fantastic. Do you yeah. walk, do you walk together? Does Denise do the walking, or, or do you have yeah, sometimes? Yeah, okay. sometimes. Yeah, I've tried to get her into the gym, and she hasn't been all that happy with it. So I haven't mm. forced the issue. And I think that's probably the key, isn't it? Yeah, don't don't force exactly. your wife to do things. Yeah. Yeah, respect, exactly. like you said, respect them and give them their space yeah. to do what they. Yeah. It's taken me. It's, it's taken me a long time to realise that, but that, yes. that's, uh, I think that's yeah. a, a, yeah. a good part of trying to keep everything happy. Yes, you can't yeah. you can't make people. Do what you do or think no. the way you think, and you no. appreciate that. Yeah, the other thing I'll, I'll just say, and I've got no sort of uh, knowledge to back this up, but I just feel that if you do, if you eat clean and keep away from all the processed food, mm. it just it cleans your body up to the extent that you you lessen the chance you get things like cancer. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's just uh, eat simply and fresh, fresh food, uh, you know, fruit and vegetables. And keep away from all the processed stuff. Mm. Yeah. It's got keep additives it and sugar. Everything's got sugar on it mm. these days. It's what, what, would you, what, what would be your normal breakfast? Um, I have rolled oats, mm-hmm. some blueberries. Uh, I cut up a bit of ginger, mm-hmm. um, a handful of raisins, maybe a banana, and a slice of rye bread with Vegemite or peanut butter on it. And and, and what's your go-to snack if you're out somewhere and you're... You're hungry and you don't want to eat anything too unhealthy. What would be your go-to oh, snack? Uh, maybe some nuts, you know, yeah. a handful or two of nuts, mm-hmm. uh, maybe a piece of fruit. Do you carry the food around with you or do you just... Yeah, I do, yeah, I do. So it's yeah. being prepared. Yes, yep. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And do you monitor how much water you drink as well? you taking it to that level? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I sort of make sure I get, my, you know, seven or eight glasses of water a day. Mm-hmm. So and so, what do you do when... So you're travelling now, you're, you're mm-hmm. out here from London... Uh, and you're doing, you know, you're doing a lot of walking. But those weeks where you're not doing the walking, what do you do about your exercise there? Do you find a gym here in Adelaide that you go I to? Always do. Okay. Yeah, right. I never, I never deny myself a gym. I'm a totally addicted. Yeah. Do you need it? So you, you, yeah, yeah, I okay. do, and I love it. And it's it's good because each gym is different. Uh, they've got different weights, different different appliances. So, so, you've, it's, so it's, you've also developed a love of gyms. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. And, and, I've got to admit, no one's asked me that before, but yeah, I've yeah, got to admit it. Well, tell you why it interests me because I know. I, I mean, I, I was I started. Going to gyms when I was 12 or 13. Oh, I love gyms. I don't I care which so. one it is. I love yeah. the smell of a gym. I love going to a hotel and using the gym. Oh, no. I love the look yeah. of a piece of equipment. Yeah. I love sitting in the machines and just changing the pin-loaded machine. I love yeah. picking up the free weights. I just I just love the the look of the equipment yeah. and, and the, the smell and feeling of a gym. I'm not sure what it is. But there's I find a, there's it a social atmosphere there too. I mean, when I was when I first started going to the gym in, in Torquay and Devon, I don't think I spoke to anyone. I didn't have an earnest conversation, maybe for 12 or 18 months. And now I've got probably 10 people there that it's, you just... And the big problem is you exercise the jaw more than you do the body parts. So mm. it's, it's just a matter of making sure that you, yeah. you keep on the straight and narrow. But, yeah, it's, it's a great... There's a social... Aspect mm. to it too. If you go regularly, you know, if yeah. you're only going once or twice a week, maybe that won't happen. But yeah, and it's probably different when you're travelling, like what we just yeah. said, and you, you go to a gym. But it sounds to me like you, you, you like myself, yeah. you just enjoy being in the gym. I, yeah. I, I personally I find it relaxing the moment I walk yeah. into it. And it wasn't like that when I first started. I must no. admit, I remember, I still remember working, walking to my first ever gym. It was quite daunting and, you know, <clears throat> the unknown and, and the different smells and that. Yeah. But I think it's. Um, just sticking at it and getting used to yeah, it, and, and really yeah, I'm sure it. of it. And and we know the feeling as you would <coughs> after a workout, how relaxed you are. It is. It's yeah. so rewarding. Yeah, it yeah. is. Yeah. What, tell me what you love the most about a workout. Tell tell me about what, what you think about before you go in. And I like that. Um, I like the fact that I go in some days and I think, oh, I don't know whether I can do this. 
And I say to myself, okay, look, if, if this doesn't work in the next 10 minutes, I'll go home. And I've never gone home. I love that. <laughs> I do. I love that. I, I never used to be like that, but I, I, I yeah. can fully understand that now. And when and you, you leave it, as you said, it's just it's just such a nice, satisfying feeling. And you, end up doing, you always end up more doing more than that yeah. seven minutes or 10 minutes, whatever you yeah. said you would do. I like that sort of burn, that slight burn you get mm. in, in your muscles and yep. even the soreness, you know, a day mm. or two later, because you know you've, you're actually building muscle. Mm. You're hooked, Simon. Yeah. I love it. You got a, And I remember talking to you the other day about you had a passion in your eye when you talked yeah. about how much I love training. and that. Yes. Yeah. And then it gets easier, doesn't it? Like it it does. does get easier once you've got yeah. that sort of love yeah. for it. Yeah. All right, Simon, where, where to from here? What's uh, what's the plans? Do you have any – you're a determined person, as you said. You're mm. determined with your, your businesses. You're determined um, with your training and your gym yeah. and your bushwalking. What's what's what to for here from here? Is it is it writing more stories and books and things? Yeah, or? A, a bit of that. Um, we're going back to England, but I think we'll probably end up in Adelaide uh, in the next couple of years. How many children are here now? In, back uh, in two, two, two. And what, what draws you back to here? Just 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 wanting to just quieten a bit down of, a bit. Yeah, sort of had enough of the UK, I think. And I mean, Adelaide is a nice place. Uh, what, what don't so. you like about the UK? Oh, the weather is a shock. Yeah, I'm not looking yeah. forward to going back to... Yeah, uh, yeah. And the English summer uh, is about three weeks of of spring weather here. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, so you hardly need to get the sunblock out. How come you're so tanned? Oh, well, I've come from the English summer. and I mean, our apartment has got... Uh, it's got a little sun thing on and I... <laughs> Go there and tan. <laughs> <laughs> it slips slop a bit, but yeah. Enough yeah. of it gets through to get a bit oh, of a tan. So yeah. you're keen to come back here and, yeah. for the weather and, and sure, sick yeah. of uh, you know, the sick of uh, London, obviously. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's, it's and and what's the plan? Write write some books or just enjoy yeah. the gym and enjoy the weather. What? All those three. Yep. Those three in no particular order. Yep. Yeah. And the health's good. You 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 can see yourself living yes. this lifestyle for a long, long time. Yeah. 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 Is age just a number to you, Simon? Do you think there's um, any barriers with age? Are you you feeling? What are you, you said? Seventy one. Yeah, I've I've never felt better to be quite oh, honest. Yeah, mm. I mean there are I, when you're 71, for example. I wish I had the eyesight I had when I was 20. Oh, yeah, I mean I don't yeah. need I need glasses for reading, but mm. that's all. But uh, they're just little things. I mean the, the whole thing with um, you probably noticed this yourself, but when, I, when from the age of 40 onwards, mm. the body you start to age mentally and physically, and those changes are really incremental. You hardly notice them. It's a, it's a very Mother Nature's got a wonderful plan because it's so gradual you're hardly aware of it. Mm. But I reckon now if I was suddenly thrust back into a 20-year-old body, I'd, I'd just be totally overwhelmed by yeah. what I could do. You'd be but, jumping out of your but skin, na- yeah. But superficially, I don't feel a whole lot different from when I was 20. I think different things come into play. You do adapt, you do adapt as you get older and you adapt yeah. to different things and you, you're probably a little bit more aware and, and able to deal with things better, I think. A bit you're more right. resilience and exactly. like more determination yeah. and you, you've done it all before, you know, yes. to stick yeah. things out and things get better and all, all those types yeah. of things. Yeah. Yeah. It's just with age comes wisdom. That sounds really corny and, mm. and all the rest of it, but it does. You know, the longer you live... Uh, not the easier it gets, but you're more aware of the pitfalls and you don't worry about things as much as when you're younger. So You've got to be open to things, though, don't you? You've got to be, o- oh, got to be open to, so. to, to be able to take on that type of yeah. mental attitude, I think. Some yeah. some people yeah. may struggle with that, you know, and other people really embrace it, I think, yeah. and, and accept, well, okay, I can't do this, but, you know, I've got this wisdom and I've got this knowledge. Sure. And, I, and I can, like you said before, you can look back and, and say, well, I'd, I made that bread, I've made a success of that business and, and that gives you yeah. a, a bit of satisfaction too, yeah. I, I find. One lesson I've learned is that, you know, life is, is sort of like a winding road 
you never know what's around the corner. But some of it's good, some of it's bad. It's just that's the way it is, you mm. know. And when the bad times come, you tough it out and look forward to the good. Mm. You just deal with it. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that, it's funny you say that because that's, that's the main thing I remember about you. I, I remember at the bakery, <laughs> um, myself being a young guy then and uh, and another couple of young guys, and we're here we are packing it up for the night and here we were, you know, you were packing up and... Uh, Sorry, we were packing up, and you were cleaning up, and still going strong. And uh, and I do, and that and, and that doesn't surprise me. You say that you you did back then, even then, deal with things as they came, and just put yeah, your head down yeah, and, and sure. did what, did what yeah. was required. And it's obviously been successful for you. Yeah, you know, you've yeah, had well, a lot yeah, of success right. in your life with your business yeah. and yeah. Um, the experiences you've had. And now, even at a you know a little bit of an older age, hitting the gym and, and making yeah. a success yeah, of sure. it. Yeah, that's yeah. no, fantastic, yeah. Simon. I want to ask you a few. Um, Different sort of questions now, yeah, if you don't sure. mind. Sure, what I can do. Yeah, it's it's not not always easy on the spot, but um, we talked we, we talked about a little bit about it before off air. But um, for you, what, what's important to you in life, Simon? What can you sum up in any way to you with all your experience? What what life should be about, or what it's about for you? Does anything come to mind? Yeah, it's just just having respect for for people and and uh, and family and all that sort of stuff. You know, yep. just so that. When you finally shake off the mortal core, you like to feel that you've left the earth a, a better place than when you found it. That sounds yeah. pretty far-fetched, but that's why I just feel that, yeah, you know, yep. we all need to sort of make a contribution yep. to make things better because there's plenty of people that are mucking it up. Yeah. Yep. Not enough people doing the right thing. Yeah. That, that's, okay, that's a good good way to sum it up. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. You're mindful of doing the right, doing sure. the right thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, some other type of things. I know with all your experiences, you've had some tough moments and some yeah. great moments. What, what can, can you think of anything that's been probably your toughest challenge or your toughest um, thing to get through or your toughest moment? Uh, look, I really can't think of anything, any one learning specific. To, learning to bake, was that? Did you find that yeah, tough? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I tend to be very philosophical. I just mm. take it as it comes. You take it, yeah, I don't think, wow, that was a huge <laughs> mountain I climbed there, you know, yep. metaphoric mountain. I don't... Yeah, I just if something comes, you got to you just put your teeth into it and, and do what, it. What about this one? What about uh, what's probably been your best lesson in life? Something you've learned the most from from something? Um, oh gosh, was your experience in the army, perhaps? Yeah, but probably was. Given the fact that I was I was young, and yeah, there were some fundamental lessons there that you know I wasn't probably conscious of at the time but when I look back now it's yeah yeah and and what about what about what about dad so talk me talk, talk me through him did he teach you discipline was it was there a lot of discipline at home yeah there was but I mean I thought he was at the time I thought he was a really harsh father yeah. but I've since found that he was that World War Two generation of fathers so harsh in what back. way harsh in um, discipline smacking I mean, and things yeah, like that or yeah, yeah. Oh, of course yeah. you know yeah. and they, everyone believed in it then from schools mm. through to families was it just like a smack with a hand or was he I used to get yeah with a hand but he used, to, he used to lay into me yeah. no, not, no not punching though or? No, oh, no, no, no 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 just smacking hard yeah, yeah. so we're I came from a pretty loving family yep. environment, yep. so I've got no reason to complain. I've, I've got no yep. psychological scars or anything like yep. that. But, but yeah, no, he, he was a good. But there was father, good discipline there by the yeah. sounds, but that set you up quite but that, well. There were so many fathers of, of that of that generation that were like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think times have obviously changed a hell of a lot since then. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Do you, do you, have, better, do you yeah. have any theories or any with all your experience on um, or advice that you would you would give to people raising children these days? Would you? Would you, um, yeah, I've always felt that the best thing that we sort of kept in mind was just to keep it simple. Mm. You know, it, it, when 
parent, raising kids, I reckon the secret is to keep it simple. The more we complicate it, the more difficult you make it for everyone. And I always tried to make sure that with all of our kids, with our four kids, that I was their friend as well as their father. Mm. So you have a good relationship yeah. with your so, children. So, and we, yeah. we let our kids be as liberal as they like as long as they didn't overstep the mark. Yeah. And I think it's a mistake to say, look, you know, you can't do this and you can't do that. Make sure you don't ever stay out there late at night. Let them do whatever they want to up to a point, you know, when, when they overstep the line. And we found after a while they would do that uh, automatically. So, Was it... Um, yeah. Were you the disciplinarian at home? Were you the one that had to... Oh, it was a, it was a team effort. Okay. Yeah, yep. yeah it worked, worked fairly well. Yep. Yeah. Okay, that's good. That's good. Mm. That's how it should be. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, well, can I can ask you a couple of other questions, but I don't want to put you too much on the mm-hmm. spot. I'll, I'll ask you this question. If, if you did have all the resources that you could have, if you, money was no objective, mm. if you could do whatever, whatever you wanted, live firstly, live wherever you wanted to, would it be Adelaide? Or if it, let's say money was unlimited, where, where would you live? And what would you do to help society or, or the world? Was there anything you would set up or buy or do if you had unlimited money and resources? So there's two, two questions there. Yeah, um See, because I've been out of Australia for 11 years, it's, it's, I tend to, to sort of think a little more globally. Uh, but Adelaide is a nice place. And, um, yeah, I mean, at this time of my, of my life, I wouldn't want to be trying to start in Sydney or Melbourne and, because it's, Adelaide's reasonably affordable to live even now. So Adelaide would be... So Adelaide would be, yeah. yeah. So what was the second part? And the second part would be, if you could do anything for anyone, had the money, you could build anything or do anything, what, where would you stem the resource, uh, flow the resources and what would you do to try and help? Yeah. Um, again, I, ha- I can't think of any specific project. Yep. But... Um, would, yeah, you, I, would you help the, the war widows? Would you perhaps do yeah, something for yeah, them? And, yeah, any, any sort of charity is worthwhile because yeah. it's, you know, it's... I'll tell you why charities are good in this day and age because most of the things that we do, that most people do, they do for money. Mm. So when someone does something, it doesn't matter what the charity is, for nothing, it, it's very rewarding and it's, it, it's, it's becoming more and more appreciated because it's harder and harder to find. Mm. Yeah. I think that, I mean, and that's a different, different mindset um, to the working life, isn't it? The whole it working is. life is... Yeah. Yeah. Who's going up the ladder and who's yeah. got the power, powerful position and how much money are they earning yeah. and, and, you know, if you want to take it further, who's got the bigger house yeah. and the car and those types it, of things? It's, it's a difficult society to live in these days, I reckon, yeah. because it's, it's litigious. Mm. It's, it's, a, it's a me society, mm. whereas in the years after World War II, it was a we society, the whole mm. of the nation. Okay. Well, do, you, do you think the whole of the nation had a different mindset because oh, of the war? Well, they did. I mean, because yeah. everyone... You take the two. What the first? You look at the twentieth century. The first half of the twentieth century, we had two world wars and depression. Mm. So, if you were born in that nineteen fifties generation that I was, everyone was was still standing shoulder to shoulder. You know, mm. you didn't have to lock y- y- your door at night. Yeah, uh, uh, crime was reasonably low. Everybody looked after themselves. Mm. But then, when society became, I'm not saying this is a bad thing. This is the way it, it, it's sort of cyclical. This is the way it goes. So there's more money around. So people get the society gets this flabby underbelly, and everyone looks after themselves. And now it's got it's got uh, you know really quite well not out of control, but it's yeah, it's a very different society. It's yeah. it's a moment. It's a pretty selfish society, I think. Yeah, and and I'm I'm thinking we're probably 
hopefully heading back the other way. I think, Look, I think I'm, I'm sure I remain optimistic. Yeah. I reckon all these things go in cycles. Yes. You, then yeah. you have reaction and then it sort of goes the other way and then it sort of yeah, builds I, up I, again. I think you're right. And I think we're in that, that process at the moment where a lot of the younger people coming through are probably appreciating a work-life balance more so than, yeah. than, than I did through my, right. through yeah. my era and people of my age. Yeah. So yeah. I, mean, I, I think that's a good thing. We, we, where we've sort of been husband and wife working full-time and working long yeah. hours, it seems to be going yeah, a little bit back yeah. the other way. We're a bit more part-time work, a bit more the husband obviously doing more yeah. around the house to help help the, the wife That's out right. and a bit more balance hopefully. Yeah. So. But I, I still maintain it. So I've told my kids, I said, look, you're living through the best era ever yeah. at the moment. You know, forget like, all uh, that. Yeah, forget yeah, standard the living. And, yeah. You haven't got any world wars to worry about. Uh, if you can avoid drugs, if you can avoid yeah. um, terrorism, as far as possible, yeah, the it's standard of living is very I mean, high. The, the things that are happening that I know, the social media is is it, it's mm. happening so quickly. You yeah. know, if, if you've got an, uh, a dictionary more than twenty years old, there's no listing for internet. Mm. It's incredible. You know, it's. Mm. Uh, but the good side of that is, you know, communication's amazing. You do all your yeah. banking online. Yeah. Everything you can do on your phone. It's so much easier to do things, oh, isn't it? A, and for travelling, to look at, where, where, you know, to book things and get information on where to yeah. go and things like Everyone that. Everyone talks about the negatives of social media and they're, they're there, there's no question. But yeah. the positives are just amazing, the way it's transformed. It sounds like you've embraced so, uh, technology yeah, and social I, I media. I think so, yeah. 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 So you, are you on Facebook and Instagram? Yeah, and things yeah like I that? do. Fantastic. I do all that stuff, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah that's and, Important. And I'm not yeah. surprised. It's not. I'm not surprised at all, Simon. Yeah, that, uh, yeah. that you're into that type of thing. Simon, look, we're coming up for an hour of chatting. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's been great. It goes yeah. I've really enjoyed it, and I just want to finish off, and I always do this uh, sure. with some appreciations, as you know, because you listen to the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, first, thing, I want a, a very serious appreciation on on your service. You know, your your service to to our country in, in oh, terms yeah. of oh, um, thank you. Yeah. Uh, what what you've done, and um, and the attitude that you've you know, done that with and come back with. Right. Um, just want to appreciate you for that. Thank uh, you. Want to appreciate you for your, all your work you do with the, with the widows that are in uh, the UK from Australia. And that's, you know, volunteer work. And so, like you sure. said, yeah. that's part of your retirement, part of a good work-life balance uh, yeah. is volunteering. And you said, yeah, you get a, a good kick out of that and it's rewarding. Sure. And just want to appreciate people like you and you sp- specifically for doing that. I think that's really, oh, thank you, really important. Thank you, appreciate it. Probably don't get pats on the back from a lot of no, people. but no, um, like and. Finally, I want to appreciate you for a couple of things, being a fantastic family man, unflappable, and, and, I, and I'll never forget that. And it's one of my main reasons for getting you on the podcast is that I, I, I remember that day that I saw you at, at the, the I shop. I never realised you took you, notice. No, I take notice of these things. And uh, you, you, you always head, were head down. I don't know if you yeah. remember one day too, me and my young son came and worked in your bakery. Yeah, I do. Yeah, and you took, I us under, you took him under your wing, you were... Once again, unflappable, happy yeah. to show him how to... You know, he was only five or yeah. six. Oh, that's a great age. Um, to, but I love yeah. that nature. I love that unflappable, yeah. determined, good old Aussie uh, head yeah. down and do the yeah. work and, and don't make do problems for people, yeah. but work hard and get things yeah. done. So I want to appreciate you for, for those three things. Good on you. Thanks, Thanks for being a guest, Simon. Yeah, appreciate it. Great to see you again. What a lovely man. I, I really enjoy Simon's company. I love knowing him. He's a true Aussie gentleman. Um, and I really thank him and appreciate that uh, he was a guest on my podcast. Just want to share with you now also a message I received from Steve. Now, Steve says this, just made the effort to listen to a couple of your podcasts. I'm glad I did and should have done sooner. You are easy to listen to and the central topic is inspiring. 
We are like-minded and I'm impressed by how you express yourself. I see this as being a great platform for your legacy to be revisited and reviewed by your kids and future generations. Well done. Thumbs up. Love that. Love messages. Love text messages or emails. Anyone giving me feedback on the podcast. It's really hard each week to know uh, whether I'm reaching anybody, whether they're really enjoying it. And that's a lot of effort and I love it. Oh, don't get me wrong. I do love talking to people, having conversations. It inspires me. Uh, it gives me a real good um, motivation each week to search for guests and and then when I find them, work out what I'm going to say and chat to them and get to know them and uh, and then try and edit it and make it interesting uh, for people that, that want to listen. So really hope uh, that, that you enjoyed this one today and uh, and please, please send me my uh, sorry, please send me your feedback. So also I want to really announce that I've got my first ever female guest. Now my mum said to me, you need female guests and it's not through a want of trying to find, <laughs> find female guests but um, I just haven't had that opportunity. Well this week I, I did and I spoke with a wonderful lady called Katie Sarah. She's an incredible adventurer. She's um, climbed seven peaks and the only female from South Australia to do uh, the top of Mount Everest and, She's done. She's got so many achievements. She runs her own business. Um, she studies as well human movement. Um, just a really interesting lady. So engaging. Um, my mum sent me a few questions, and I asked Katie uh, those questions, and she answers them, them delightfully. She was a fantastic guest. She had no hesitation about saying yes to coming on the podcast, and and uh, I really. I actually have to say it's probably the best podcast that I've done, one of the best com- or the best conversation I've had. She was delightful and inspiring. So I look forward to bringing that one to you in the next couple of weeks. Bye for now. Keep listening. Please, please pass this on to other people. Send it via text, Facebook Messenger, whatever you need to do, tell people about it. Uh, listen in your car, listen at night when you go to bed, or just listen when you go for a run. But keep listening. Bye for now, everyone. Take care. Always discover your vision, and the rest will follow. Now, my second, my second rule is never ever think small. If you're going to accomplish anything, you have to think big. You have to go and shoot for the stars. The biggest challenge most people have is because they think small. And the reason why people think small and why they choose small little goals is because they're afraid to fail. They know that if you shoot for a big goal, then the chances of failing are very high. And they're afraid of failing. It's one of the most common things why people are frozen and why they can't make a move in life because they're scared of failing. I say to myself, hey, I'm not worried about failing because that's part of life. You're not going to go and win everything. And how far can you fall? Look at this. This is the ground. That's as far as I can fall. And you know something? That the only time you really consider the failure is if you fall and you don't get up. But if you get up, you never consider the failure. So I never considered myself a failure. I always considered myself a winner, even though I fell every so often. But I always got up and I always moved forward.